From the McCourney Institute for Democracy on the campus of Penn State University, I'm Michael Berkman. And I'm Chris Beam, and this is Democracy Works. Chris, today we're going to talk about an important survey that probes Americans, uh, young and old, about their uh, support for and concerns about American democracy. Right. It's it's actually, um, the results are interesting, and also just the uh, the... The fact of the survey itself it's and some an of the features. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting partnership. Right. Yeah. So uh, we're going to be talking to uh, Lindsay Lloyd, who is uh, director of the Human Freedom Initiative at the George W. Bush uh, Presidential Center. And uh, what's interesting about he did the survey called the Democracy Project Survey, um, elaborate and extensive. They included focus groups. Um, but what's interesting about it is that it's a distinctively bipartisan effort. Right. They they worked um, in collaboration with the uh, Penn Biden Center uh, at, right. at the University of Penn and also with Freedom House, who, you know, universally worldwide regarded as a, 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 an important arbiter of the condition of human rights around the world. Mm -hmm. And so um, they, you know, they did this uh, this poll together and they got um, um, polling firms representing yeah. both the Republican and Democratic uh, sides of the uh, of the aisle and um, put like, together this this survey. Yeah, it's like bipartisanship from a bygone era. <laughs> I think that's right. right. A sort of older establishment Republican and right. establishment Democrat right. back in the days when we could talk about an establishment that had a kind of bipartisan support. Right, and, and uh, uh, it's interesting to ask whether and how that um, perspective, you know, maybe gone for by perspective uh, reflects, is reflected in the results or in the way that the results are presented. So you and I have both talked about this, uh, uh, this survey, very famous now by Yasha Monk, who at the time was a, uh, a lecturer at Harvard. He's now at Johns Hopkins. And uh, the survey um, asks people, is it essential to you to live in a democracy, right? right? And it's finding a decline in support for democracy among younger, co younger cohorts in multiple countries throughout right. the Western world. Right. And so this this survey is just about the United States. But it digs in deeper because it's also using focus groups. Correct. And goes into some more detailed questions, in, including about promoting democracy abroad, right. which was not a topic in the Yashimon. Right. And, and which is obviously of, of uh, you know, serious concern to Freedom House, the, uh, the Penn-Biden Center, and the... Uh, uh, the George W. Bush Center. So right. So so all that's true. You know, but you're right. It, it the objective is to find out not just what people are are uh, how committed they are to democracy, how they feel about democracy, and and what they see, what they identify as some of the biggest problems. Well, it's right. It's trying to do that, but it's also trying. It's it's. It's also trying to assess the extent to which Americans still support the idea of promoting democracy abroad. Right, correct. So, but, so there are two things there. One is how do Americans of different generations, because they do, through their focus groups and some other methods, uh, focus in on younger Americans. Mm -hmm. So how do Americans of different cohorts feel about the state of American democracy? And then how do they feel about the role of the United States in promoting democracy abroad? Right, that's, that's right. I just want to... Um just say that it's that it, it that one of the cohorts that's split out is among age, but also they they um, identify 
differences in terms of partisanship and also differences in terms of, uh, you know, uh, race and ethnicity. And all of those are, I think, pretty interesting. They also see America, they see younger Americans as feeling a lower sense of efficacy, meaning that they're what they have to say matters, Mm -hmm. Uh, having less confidence in politics as a way to get things done. Uh, and less confidence in American political uh, institutions. Right. And, I, and these are disturbing findings over the long term. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean I, if, they, if they stay this way, but there's no reason to believe they're going to grow out of it in actually, the current they, environment. It, so anyway, um, I, I think we've um, yeah, said well, let's a go, significant let's, amount. And <laughs> well, let's go to our guest and yeah. hear what he has to say about his survey, and then uh, we'll be back. We'll be back. This is Jenna Spinelli here today with Lindsay Lloyd. Lindsay, thanks for joining us. Hi, Jenna. It's a pleasure to be with you. Uh, So we are going to uh, talk today about the Democracy Project and some work that was done regarding feelings of Americans about the the condition of democracy and some of the factors that uh, affected that. But before we get to that, I think it would be good to start with some backgrounds. Can you tell us what the Democracy Project is and how it relates to the Bush Center's mission? Sure. So we, um, it, the Bush Center opened its doors in 2009, and one of the the areas that that we work on is what we call human freedom, democracy, and human rights programming. Uh, and historically, that work had all been focused outside of the United States. We have an active project on North Korea. We do work in Burma. Uh, we work with leaders from the Middle East and North Africa, and things like that. Um, but several years ago, we, like everyone else, sort of noticed what was happening in American democracy and the fact that our politics, our politics were becoming increasingly angry. Um, that there was just a lot of contention, a lot of partisanship a lot of nastiness, frankly, and wanted to see what we might be able to do about it. We joined forces with two other institutions, one being Freedom House, which is the oldest and I think best known uh, human rights watchdog group in the country, and a new organization, a new startup called the Penn Biden Center, founded by the uh, the former vice president and housed at the University of Pennsylvania. And the three of us uh, jointly decided to launch a, a public opinion research project to sort of find out what is troubling our society, what's troubling our democracy. So over the course of the first part of, uh, of last year of 2018, um, we did a series of focus groups in four different cities around the country with different constituencies like small business owners or military veterans or teachers uh, to get that sort of qualitative data um, to hear from people in their own words about what they were thinking about our democracy. And then uh, later in the spring, we did a national public opinion poll um, where we surveyed people around the country uh, on on some of these issues, both both domestically and internationally. We looked at the health of our democracy, but then also about how Americans feel about the U.S. supporting democracy and human rights outside our borders. Broadly speaking, um, how are people feeling about the condition of, of democracy in the U.S.? Yeah. So I think the first thing, in the, and it's an important thing, um, there were there was a flurry of articles and, and um, conversation in the first part of 2017 that Americans were uh, looking for something else or that generally people living in dem- democratic societies were thinking about alternatives. Uh, Yasha Monk at Harvard University is probably the, the, the best known proponent of this. 
And he put out a, uh, an article and uh, spoke quite a bit about this, this phenomenon saying that, you know, that there was an openness to something different, be that a, a technocratic government or even a, an authoritarian government or, or something like that. We did not find that in our survey. The, the, the folks that we talked to overwhelmingly um, felt it was important to them or very important to them to live in a democracy. So large, large numbers really no no significant opening whatsoever to, you know, let's try something else. Um, now, having said that, you know, the theoretical, you know, 80, 85% are saying it's important to them to live in a democracy. The, the flip side of that is that our respondents felt that America's democracy was weak and that it's getting weaker. So, you know, not wanting to, to, to throw out the baby with the bathwater, but just sort of feeling that America's democracy isn't delivering in the way that it's supposed to or that it traditionally had. Um, we asked people, um, is, is America's democracy getting weaker, getting stronger? Nearly 70 percent, 68 percent came back and said it's getting weaker. So, you know, it's great to have that sort of theoretical conceptual support for democracy, but clearly there's something wrong when you have, you know, over two thirds of, of uh, respondents in the country saying that our system is getting weaker. What role do you see the Democracy Project and the, the Bush Center playing in, in trying to address some of the issues that you found in, in your survey and in the focus groups? So um, it's kind of twofold. The other thing, which I, I didn't really touch on, but we the um, the survey also looks at um, the support for U.S. engagement on democracy and human rights overseas. Um, it was sort of the, the the second half of the survey, and our plans there are a little bit more crystallized at this point. Um, we are starting up a process to to put out a policy paper along with some discussion groups, working groups, things like that on a bipartisan basis to look at um, democracy and human, human rights support overseas. It has, uh, frankly, taken a, a hit under this administration. It has not been a priority uh, for this administration. And we believe, um, our partners believe, that, that it's extremely important that the U.S. speak out on behalf of human rights around the world when, when abuses are happening and that the U.S. support democracy around the world um, through, through rhetoric, through uh, financial support, through many other ways. Our uh, adversaries, if I can put it that way, if you look at China, you look at Russia, are, are advocating for a different model, uh, for authoritarianism, for um, for, you know, a more centralized system. And, you know, just as back in the height of the Cold War, when the National Endowment for Democracy was founded and, and uh, President Reagan made a, a famous speech at Westminster in London, um, talking about the need for Western democracies, for democracies generally, to advocate for their system, for their point of view. And that has, that has largely fallen by the wayside. The, the funding is still there, is still in place, but that's only because Congress has put it in place over the last couple of years. The administration just hasn't made it a priority. We believe it should be. Um, we believe it's effective. We believe it's essential. Uh, and what we found in the survey was that uh, respondents when we started to talk to them about these issues, agreed um, that when you know when you make arguments that having more democracies, having a more democratic world, makes America safer, makes us more prosperous, that it's the right thing to do. Um, we found strong support across really all demographics. So, uh, as I say, we are working on a, a policy paper that will make recommendations to um, to Congress, to the administration, the new president, whoever. He or she may be about this issue, why we believe it's important. 
who do you see as your allies to to move some of these issues forward and and as you said continue that that support for the US um you know helping to to build and sustain democracy abroad so I think you know one of the one of the good news pieces is that on Capitol Hill you still have very strong support across uh, across party lines for this. Members of Congress, I think um, you know Republicans and Democrats are generally um, supportive of the U.S. continuing this kind of work. Uh, you know, as I said, the administration had proposed um, cutting the budgets pretty dramatically of some of the key programs that uh, that fund these. These, these projects, uh, groups like the National Endowment for Democracy and funding within the State Department. And Congress has each year put it back in, uh, and in some cases at, at increased levels over the year before. So um, I think that's a sign of optimism. The other thing I would point to, which is which I think is a really interesting phenomenon, is that newer democracies um, are, are interested in this work. Um, countries that were under uh, totalitarian rule uh, in Central and Eastern Europe, for example, have started their own projects to, to support democracy and human rights overseas. Um, so it's not just that the U.S. is going out and, and saying, do this. You have a host of countries, um, you know, all over Europe. Uh, Scandinavia has, has been very active in this area. Australia, Canada, Taiwan, other, other democracies out there are also um, undertaking efforts to do this. And it, it's, it's good that that's happening, but it's also, I think, imperative that the U.S. show leadership on these, on these issues. There seemed to be broad support for both the the U.S. Um, you know supporting uh, democracy abroad, but also there was, if I'm recalling it correctly, a, a sentiment of well, we should just let other countries do what they want to do. And, and I'm, I'm you know just wondering how both of those things can simultaneously be true. And I think that they both you know rated pretty highly, if if I'm recalling. You're right, and and this came out I think also in the for, in the focus groups that we did. Um, there's a strong sentiment among many people uh, to you know fix our problems first, um, deal with deal with the concerns we have here at home before we do any sort of foreign aid. Foreign aid is never popular, um, and has never really been popular. Uh, going back to you know efforts like the Marshall Plan after after uh, World War II, there it was huge. Hugely, hugely controversial, and you know, barely, barely got through. Um, and I, I suppose that's that's very natural. But I think there, there's a couple of things at work. One is that we've done a really lousy job of explaining this. Um, when our survey didn't ask this question, but other surveys ask people to estimate what percentage of the federal government goes to foreign aid, and they're wildly off the mark. You know, people think it's 10% of the budget or 20% of the budget, when in fact it's 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 less than a percent of the total federal budget is going to foreign aid. Um, so there's a little bit of education uh, that, that would be really helpful on that front. Um, but, you know, people's concerns are legitimate. It is perfectly legitimate to say we need to deal with our health care crisis or, you know, why can't they fix the road that I drive on every day to get to work? Um, but our belief is that we can we can do both and that there's a lot of historical precedent. Uh, for for doing this, you know, when you look back at what the founders wrote, they didn't say, you know, we the American people. They said we the people, and there's a universality um, that's that's inherent in in the Declaration and in the Constitution and so forth. That you know these these rights belong to everyone. So to the extent that we can be supportive of that, um, I, I think people will come along. When you, when you talk to people about foreign assistance, like a program like PEPFAR, which has saved you know, countless lives in, in Africa, 
um, people start to understand that you know a, a relatively small amount of money has has done some enormous good, and they're they're supportive of it. When you explain to people that in fact democracy promotion, human rights promotion can work, um, it's not foolproof, but it you know there are success stories that you can point to. From from around the around the globe, you know, you look at a country like South Africa, um, which has has transformed itself beyond recognition in 20, 30 years. Um, but on every continent, you can find examples of of countries that have chosen the democratic path, where the United States and other democracies have assisted, and that there have been good outcomes. And you talk to people about how those countries are now trading with us; they don't pose a security threat to us, and and so forth. And people then I think are going to be much more receptive to this kind of work. President Trump was was not mentioned at all in the report. And you certainly there is much more to democracy than what happens at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. But I'm wondering if the administration came up at all in, in the survey or, or perhaps more likely in focus groups and what what some of those conversations were like. Yeah, we we intentionally did not ask about the approval of the president or um, any other political figure in, in in part because this isn't a political poll. It wasn't you know the the, the type that would appear on the evening news and say so and so's up by two percent kind of thing. And it was hopefully uh, a little bit more timeless than that. It certainly came up in the uh, in the focus groups that we did. Um, those included one group of people that that supported the president in uh, in 2016. We had another group of people who were uh, supportive of uh, Senator Sanders in the Democratic primary in 2016. So we 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 certainly got some different perspectives, and uh, inevitably, uh, you know, his his name came up early and often in the in the focus group conversations. Um, you know, totally naturally. And, and I, I, nothing, I think, particularly surprising, um, you know, clearly, uh, the president has some, some very strong supporters and some equally strong detractors out there. And that colors a lot of people's views on politics more broadly. But as you said, it's, um, democracy is much bigger than who is sitting in, in the white house at any, at any one time. It, it really gets to, I think the, the local level politics and the importance of that, again, the sense that democracy delivers that did my garbage get picked up this week? Um, you know, have they fixed that pothole? Have they, you know, fixed the, the, the crossing lights in front of the school I drive by every day? You know, those kind of things touch people where they are. And, um, you know, if, if they're being neglected, um, confidence in the system overall, I think, suffers. You know, and I know that that democracy is more than what happens in the White House. Did you get the sense that the people in your focus groups felt that way as well? Yeah, I, did. I, I think so. One uh, another of the focus groups we did was with local officials, uh, again, in Indianapolis. So people who are serving on town councils or as elected judges or tax collectors, that kind of thing. Um, they clearly, uh, they had an interesting perspective in that they regret, regretted the lack of engagement that they saw from citizens, um, that how rare it was, um, to have citizens come to a council meeting, um, the reluctance of people to serve on juries, um, things like that were mentioned. Um, and, uh, you know, many of these, these small town and suburban officials, I think would be delighted 
to see a, you know, a, a big turnout at the city council meeting or have somebody call them about that pothole or that crosswalk that needs fixing and said that people weren't, uh, you know, weren't, weren't engaging on that level. So, you know, I, I think it's, um, you know, there are a lot of, of rights that come with uh, living in a democracy, but there are also, are also responsibilities, including being informed and engaged and um, speaking out when something concerns you. So, you know, Lindsay, the other thing that we, we hear a lot about in polling and in the media is the kind of the, the increasing partisanization or, or polarization of, of our country and people not being able to to agree or just kind of talking past each other. Um, did you see um, any evidence of, of, I guess, either of those scenarios in, in your focus groups, either this, you know, extreme polarization or, or you know, perhaps people uh, being able to to find uh, middle ground on on some issues. Yeah, we certainly did. I mean, it, it, you hear this from everybody, um, re- regardless of where they are on the spectrum. Um, I think one of the complications is that if I'm if I'm a diehard pro-Trump or I'm a diehard anti-Trump person, um, I think getting rid of partisanship means everybody needs to agree with me. Um, and, you know, we heard that at kind of both both polls. Um, but most people aren't there. Most people are somewhere in the middle. Um, they may lean one way or lean the other. And I think it, it, uh, it, it's of, of grave concern. Um, at the local level, this is less of an issue. Obviously, you know, in many states, uh, local elected officials are nonpartisan. Um, but um, you, you see this, I think, really across the board that um, people are frustrated that, that Congress or that Washington in particular can't solve problems. And I think it's pretty clear to most people that this this era of hyper-partisanship that we're in is one of the key contributing factors to that because the ideas aren't examined based on the merits. They're, they're examined on the basis of who's proposing them. And uh, I, I, I think that just really frustrates people. You know, you look at an issue like, like health care, which is typically the top concern of most Americans. And they don't really care who's behind the proposal. They just want to see it get better. They just want to see it get done. And, you know, we've seen now this ongoing struggle uh, for, for, you know, however many years that, that um, if it comes from the other side of the aisle, I'm not going to touch it. And rather than dealing with some of the real issues that are out there, even on things that are much less controversial on the surface on, you know, how do we deal with the opioids epidemic around the country? And, you know, that becomes a partisan issue. So I think that, you know, that the, the voters frustration um, is, is very understandable on this issue. Um, uh, unfortunately, both of the parties have seen a hollowing out where they've, they've both been sort of dragged uh, further to the extremes that, you know, the, the, the old days where you had uh, Rockefeller Republicans or blue dog Democrats are, are largely gone in Congress. Um, you know, so it's, 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 it's a real challenge. And, um, you know, the, I guess the, you know, the only answer I've got to that is that people need to think a little bit more differently about how they vote in primary elections, um, where, you know, if if you view yourself as being somebody more centrist, then maybe you need to cast your ballot in that way um, in in the primary elections um, and and reward politicians who are seeking compromise and seeking to work together. But it's 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 tough. It's very, very tough environment out there. 
the report does does make a couple of of recommendations. Um, you know, mostly uh, I would say around messaging. Um, and you know, I, I'm wondering, kind of, given that there are so many of these big issues that you identified, like racism and like money and politics, uh, did you consider at all trying to to make recommendations that might speak more to the substance of those issues as opposed to how people talk about them, or you know, things like highlighting success stories or or things like that? Right. So the, the the messaging that you talked about that we did that primarily or really exclusively on the on the international dimension of this survey about how do you how do you talk about um, how do you talk about democracy uh, how do you talk about human rights support um, on the domestic side um, we we didn't we didn't really do that for issues you know we didn't say how should you message healthcare how should you message campaign finance uh, reform but we did. We did talk about um, kind of how you talk about politics in a sense um, to an extent to um, really sort of maybe give people a little a little pause about how do you how do you how do you think about these issues so that you're getting people engaged and not disengaged. Um, I, you know, we've 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 chatted informally about the potential of doing doing some follow up research on this. We haven't made any decisions on that, but I think um, given this kind of odd coalition of um, you know, an organization headed by a former Republican president, a former Democratic vice president, and Freedom House. Um, it it was less about finding the solutions to these problems and more about kind of how do we talk about them? How do we uh, how do Americans perceive what what these issues are out there? I you know I don't have a good answer on campaign finance reform. I don't know that anybody does really um, in terms of a, an easy fix and how do we how do we get back to that or or something much bigger and more important racism and discrimination in society. Um, but you know the other thing I would, I would just note you know what I something I mentioned before about meeting people where they are, talking to them, listening to them uh, in new ways and different ways, as well as the traditional ways, I think is hugely important um, so that people start to feel that, no, in fact, you know, I, my, my vote, my voice can make a difference. Great. Well, I think that might be about as hopeful of a note that we're going to get in this conversation. So it seems seems like a good place to, to uh, draw things to a close. We're going to uh, end as we always do with our four uh, Mood of the Nation poll questions. Um, so thinking about politics and kind of the, the state of affairs today, what makes you angry? Um, I, to me, I think one of the things that I, I, uh, I find particularly troubling is the rise of intolerance and the acceptance of intolerance. Um, this country has had a, a very long journey, and it's an un- incomplete journey in terms of finding ways that, that all Americans can participate. Um, I, uh, some of the things we've seen in the news over the last couple of years, uh, you look at the, you know, the, the, the incident in Pittsburgh or in Charleston uh, or right here in, in, in Texas, um, you know, at, at churches and schools and so forth, um, the, the rise and the acceptance of, of rhetoric that would have been utterly unacceptable just a few years ago, uh, that, that makes me angry. And I think all Americans have a responsibility to, to push back against that. And then uh, what makes you proud? I think um, one of the things that I, I, makes me proud about our democracy is its ability to adapt um, gets to something I just said that, you know, we didn't start off as a country where everyone enjoyed the same rights. But over time, gradually and sometimes very painfully, we have adapted the system to uh, ensure that women and uh, people who are not white 
male property owners in general are able to uh, to play a role in the system. And, and I think for all our flaws, that's something that we as Americans can still take great pride in. And uh, what makes you worry? Uh, I'm worried about uh, partisanship, and it's a different sort of partisanship uh, than than we've seen in recent days. Um, I worked on Capitol Hill for many years back in uh, during the Reagan presidency and and first Bush presidency. There was a lot of anger and partisanship then, but I think it's taken on a really different character these days. Um, to basically, you know, the mission of the opposition is to block everything that the majority wants to do, and vice versa. And um, seeing that that level of partisanship, not just at the federal level, but at the at the state level in, in most of our states as well, is something that uh, gives me concern. And then finally, what gives you hope? Uh, I would point to, again, these university conversations I had last uh, last fall, uh, talking with these young people who were exceptionally well informed and eager to be engaged and had been engaged in different ways. Um, you know, the, the uptick, uh, small though it may have been in youth turnout, um, the growth that we've seen in African American participation and Hispanic participation in, in elections, I, I think is something that, uh, is a very hopeful sign as we, as this country transitions demographically. I think it's just vital, um, that, that these voices are heard. And it appears to me that, that many of them really are eager to be heard. Lindsay, thanks again for joining us today. Terrific. Thank you. All right. Well, so very interesting and um, reflects what, Michael, you were talking about, about this kind of, um, it was expressing a, a point of view about bipartisanship and about American foreign policy that is... Um, not doing very well in the current political climate. I think it's a challenge for, you know, Republicans coming out of, say, the tradition of the Bushes uh, to be able to talk about these things these days because their party has not moved in a direction that one could argue is pro-democracy. You could say a lot of things about it that might be positive for people, of, but it doesn't often talk about promoting democracy, either here or abroad. It's difficult for you know, someone representing the Bush Center to engage these issues, as you say, because they represent a conception of the Republican Party that is at best um, a minority view right but, now. But let's commend how important it is that they are trying to symbolically, and in practice actually, uh, push back against polarization mm -hmm. by working with the Biden Center, right, and, and that there is a responsible middle, yeah, and and a, and, a, and they're and trying a, to they're trying to say that's us and a bipartisan conversation that is necessary, that is essential to moving politics, government, and foreign policy forward. The counter argument, and, and this is one that uh, Jenna has made. Um, well, and I think she she's making it. I think Lloyd made this point, right? Too. It, yeah. Which is that you know to the degree that we focus solely on Donald Trump, we're missing. Uh, a large uh, part of th this American democratic conversation and and uh, um, an argument, right? And so I think that's probably true. I also, you know, the the counter argument is, you know, one that I've made to Jenna <laughs> is that you know when the barn is on fire, you you, you worry about getting the, the fire out, and then you worry about the rest. Of it. He also did talk about how the survey found declining support for American institutions, 
among the young, less trust mm-hmm. in American. This is a real problem that we're seeing more and more. And the constant attacks on American institutions by the Trump administration contributes to this. The, the attack on institutions like the media, the attack on institutions like the independent judiciary, the way that the president often talks about courts as sort of his courts or the other courts. I mean, all of this contributes to what we this poll is showing us is out there and it's a problem. And that is that young people are likely to be less trusting and less supportive of institutions. Where does this go over the long term? How do you restore that kind of confidence? I actually have no idea how you restore that confidence. Yeah, I don't I don't think he does either. Well, I don't think anybody I mean, has I, mean, that I don't yet. think anybody. Here's where our poll does show something really interesting. We did this uh, about this about this topic. We saw this uh, a couple months ago. We asked people about their confidence in the FBI. We asked mm-hmm. this in a variety of ways. And what we would have expected to see is that Republicans in particular are supportive of law enforcement. Of I mean, that's how... Decades. But Decades that is not what we see. Right. What we see is that the... Pre- and, and there is no other way to attribute this mm-hmm. except to the president's attacks on the FBI mm-hmm. that Republicans at least have lost confidence in the FBI. Well, the point... The argument is that we're, we are seeing the partisanization of every Everything. aspect of American life. So this is basically yet another manifestation of this argument that we were having before, which is, is this um, a... What's the right way to understand this and to respond to it, right? Is this, um, is there more to democracy, American democracy, than just Donald Trump and his impacts and his decisions? Or is this the only thing that matters for the future of democracy? Is the, um, is the, future continued um, yeah. so, reign of, of the of the Trumpian administration. Right. And so, you know, th- this survey raises these issues and uh, it's important that Americans be talking about them. So good for them for doing that. But it is also true that because of these actions, um, there are more people more engaged in politics now than there have been for generations, and that includes young people. And it doesn't just mean um, reading the New York Times or watching MSNBC or Fox News. It means people are understanding uh, a sense of responsibility about um, the condition of their democracy, and they're acting appropriately. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I mean, he made that point, and yes. it's it's important to emphasize that uh, the fact is people voted. They and, voted in record numbers, and they're and that going wouldn't, to protest, and they're, yeah, they're we're op- seeing engagement in, in all local co- politics and writing letters. It, and it's hard to imagine if Hillary Clinton had won, yes, that we would be seeing. We, we'd see the same gridlock in Congress. Nothing would be getting done. It would be the same commitment that there was towards when Obama was president, which is that nothing's going to get done. But because of this, you have seen a renewed engagement and a re- renewed sense among Americans that politics is important and that democracy is important. So, you know, I think this is the flip side uh, or the good side of understanding our democracy as weak and getting weaker. There's no sense among Americans any longer that this train runs itself <laughs> and that we don't have to concern ourselves with it. We can go and do our, do our own thing. We now understand that democracy is even 200 years plus in has a certain precariousness to it and that it requires uh, a commitment on part of all of us to, to make it run well. 
And if that is the message that comes out of this survey and out of uh, where we are politically right now, well, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Exactly. So thank you very much to Lindsay Lloyd for, uh, for his work and for the survey and for coming on the show. Uh, thanks to Jennifer for the interview. I'm Chris Beam. I'm Michael Berkman. Thanks for listening. Democracy Works is produced by the McCourtney Institute for Democracy at Penn State and WPSU Penn State. Our hosts are Michael Berkman, Chris Beam, and me, Jenna Spinelli. Andy Grant is our engineer, and Mark Stitzer is our editor. Additional support comes from Emily Reddy, Shireen Stanford, Craig Johnson, and the rest of the team at WPSU. For detailed show notes and discussion questions for each episode, visit our website at democracyworkspodcast.com. And if you like what you heard today, please consider rating or reviewing us wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.